Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. All right, so if, uh, again, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 8, uh, and just kind of... We've been in this series, The Inversion Law. The first 11 chapters of Romans was theologically just dense, heavy. Just It was the gospel laid out, but it, it, like, like Paul, only Paul can do, writing in such a way that makes your head just explode. Like if you remember, even Peter, uh, one of the other apostles says, I don't even understand Paul, right? So, uh, so Paul writing these theological doctrines, and it's just been heavy, boom, 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 pounders. And so the rest of the book has been, in light of that theology, how then should you live? And so he's saying, man, you, you should be a living sacrifice. You should be killing uh, your selfish ambitions and your selfishness in your heart. And, and you, should, you should submit to governing authorities. And remember, he, he's not writing to a... Uh, 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 a uh, dim, di, uh, diplomatic, democratic society. He's writing to Ro under Roman oppression. There was Caesar, and Caesar is killing Christians, right? And so he's saying, "Hey, be submissive to the governing authorities." He's saying, "Love one another, truly. Love one another. Know each other. Be willing to die for those within the body, within the church, and this upside-down kingdom living. This inverse of what the world looks like." And so we should be radically different from the world. And that's what the whole context of everything after Romans uh, 11 has been, right? And so, so uh, and, and today's no different. He's going to start some of it, and then he's going to really press into challenging the church to live up to the doctrines that he's preached. Okay, so let's start verse 8 through 12, this section. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even when even will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. All right, a couple of things. Paul again hits just, he, he's been preaching unity uh, amidst diversity, right? I mean, he, he's saying, man, remember the context. He's writing to a church that has ethnic Jews and ethnic pagan Gentiles within the congregation. And so when they're coming together, as would never happen outside of the church, because primarily Jews hated everybody that wasn't Jew, right? That wasn't Jewish. And so the, coming together in the church and you have all these preferential differences. You have, you have the Gentiles who were eating bacon wrapped shrimp, which the Jews would have been like, 
oh, that's been off limits to us for so long, we don't understand. And then you have like the Jews honoring these festivals and holy days and the pagan Gentiles would be like, well, that's what we did when we worshiped false pagan gods. And so all of these kind of different dynamics going through, but yet Paul is saying even amidst all the preferential differences, you have solid common ground to stand on, namely in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so he's, he's pushing them uh, that despite their differences, they would be unified and I love it because, in essence, he's saying the way that they are to glorify God is in their unity. The crazy truth is a lot of times we think to glorify God, we got to go on some mission trip or do some huge spiritual feat. But Paul just said, you can glorify God by being unified, by being one, by being family, by doing church together the way church was meant to be done together. And so I think that's a beautiful thing. And, and, and if you think about it, like uh, the, the church does something that the world doesn't do. And it brings together all different kinds of people, different ethnicities, races, different socioeconomic statuses, even different uh, uh, and this may be more dividing, but d- different preferences, right? Where like, like me, I'm, I love football. Foot, I, I could talk shop for football for hours, right? We could talk about plays and teams and players and whatever, right? But I can have relationship with someone who's read all of the Harry Potters seven times and goes to every Comic-Con event and dresses up doing so, Right? Now, whereas I might not, you know, I might offend you by saying like Marvel's better or DC or I don't even know the differences, right? Uh, we can still have common unified relationship around the cross. You have different things you like. I have different things I like. Whereas in normal everyday setting, we would never be friends, in, in the world's standards, I would never have relationship with someone who was that different from me. And yet, when the cross is involved and God's gospel is preached, it brings together people from all different walks of life, all different preferences, all different ethnicities, poverty, rich, white, black, Asian. It doesn't matter. We're brought all together because of the gospel. And this is why, because the gospel is the most unifying thing in all the world. And here's why. Because we all started the same place. Whether we were rich or poor, white, black, Asian, uh, w- whether we like football or Comic-Con, whether we're Republican, Democrat, whether we're whatever, we all started in the same ground. And that ground is that we were sinners, rebels, dead in our sins and trespasses. No hope. All of us. And then we're all saved by the same way. There's only one way to be saved. That's through Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in him. And and God reaching down, pulling you out of the sin and saving you, covering you with his blood so that you stand justified before the Father. We are all same ground, saved in the same way by the same Savior, the only way to be saved. And we all have the same purpose now that is to glorify and magnify God. And so we gather around that cross, we gather around that gospel, and we have unity amidst our diversity. 
We have unity. And that's what Paul continues to just uh, um, talk about here. He's talking about their differences. They may be night and day different, introverts, extroverts. You know, you got someone who's bubbly, and then you've got Eeyore, right? You've got like all kind of different people coming together, uniting around the gospel. And then, then he goes into the fact that God is not a tribal deity and, and, and he has never been a tribal deity. He's never been just about one ethnicity. Because even in the Old Testament, Paul's beginning to prove that God wasn't just for the Jews in the Old Testament. And, and Paul's proving that. And he proves it with four Old Testament verses. That's why he rattles off all these Old Testament verses uh, uh, about the Gentiles' inclusion into the faith. Because he's wanting to show them that God's heart has always been about the nations. It's always been about all people. And so Paul quotes four verses, two of them from the Psalms, one from the law, and one from the prophets. These represent the three major divisions of Old Testament scripture. And so Paul is essentially saying, look, all of the Bible said the Jews were welcome in. God's heart has always been for the nations. And you remember when, when he blessed Abraham, he said, you'll be a blessing to all nations. Out of you will come a blessing to all nations. He's always had all people groups at the center of his heart. And I say that, and that's important for us today because the temptation for us as Christians is to kind of hole away, get in our fox holes, and, and kind of keep our faith to ourselves. Now, we would never say that, and, and we would never, we don't even know that we believe that, but by our actions, what we do is we kind of just kind of huddle. Our, we have our holy huddles, and we kind of keep it all, you know, it's like my precious, you know, like, and we just got to keep it to ourselves. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, though, you know, <laughs> Harry Potter, maybe not, but you know. Uh, so, but here's what we do we kind of keep it all. Uh, in and and Paul's coming along and saying, no, 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 no. This is not for your particular people. This is for all people. Go, take the gospel, share the gospel, preach the gospel. Uh, let's read verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's stop there for a minute. Paul prays a prayer over the church, a powerful prayer. And he starts with, may the God of hope. And, and the reality is God is the only source of hope. Again, if you are hoping in your good works, that, that somehow you're a decent enough human being and that God should look upon you with favor when determining if you should go to heaven or hell and your good works is what you're depending on, that's foolish. It's foolish because it goes against everything written in the Bible. Or maybe you're hoping in your material wealth. You're, you're so insulating yourself to try to protect yourself from all the tragedies and trials that we face in the world. And you're trying to insulate yourself and it's foolish. Or maybe you're depending upon relationships or other things. The only hope that is a lasting hope is the hope of God. He's the only one who can give a lasting hope. And then it, it, not only is it possible to have hope, but it says we can also have, we, it said, 
fill you. We can be full of peace and joy. And again, I stress to you, this is not, this is not a uh, superficial, hey, put on a smile on your face. This, I'm not a motivational speaker saying if you just wake up and you say 10 positive things to yourself, it'll be a great day. That's lame. Because the reality is that doesn't, that doesn't help us. That doesn't, that's not helpful at all. Because, <laughs> again, life sucks. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, it riddled us with sin. And we are dealing with that sin every single day. We deal with it in the world. We deal with it in our own hearts. We deal with it in our own lives. And so we don't hope. We don't don't have this, but we don't have a fake peace. We have a, a true peace and a true joy because what we say is we know God to be good. We know God to be faithful. We know God is sovereign. And we know his promises are, will stand forever. And so we hope that when we experience death, that this, that end is not the end. We hope that when we stop breathing, that is merely the beginning for us of an eternity with God. We hope that we, the scriptures claim and we, we hope in, we have peace in, we have confidence in when it says he works for the good of those who love him. He didn't say everything would be good. He said he works for the good so that even in the crap, we can say God is working for our good. This is the peace and joy that we can have. It's not a superficial emoji. It is real peace and real joy. And it says, no matter what comes, I stand because my God holds me. He makes me stand. His promises withstand any tragedy that goes on in my life. And that's what I stand on. Let's read verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This is awesome verse, okay? This is an awesome verse. I'm going to read it again. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Okay, so Paul is beginning now uh, his closing section, the longest closing section of any of his letters, and he's beginning to wrap up the letter. And some of you are like, praise the Lord. We're going to get out of Romans finally, right? So, uh, you know, we're wrapping up Romans. He's wrapping up the letter here, longest thing, and, and he's wrapping it up by encouraging them. Look, he says, I myself am satisfied about you. So he wanted them to know, like, he just preached some really hard stuff. He preached hard stuff about theology, 1 through 11. I mean, hard doctrinal stuff. And then he's calling them to lay down their lives as one would be a living sacrifice, to climb yourself up daily on the altar and die to yourself every day. And so, that, you know, to show that he loves them, he's beginning, and I'm satisfied with you. you. You guys have been doing a good job. You're a great church. You, 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 I'm just teaching you th- these things so that you can continue to do well. And he tells them what it is that they're doing that makes him satisfied of them as a church. And the first thing he says, and, and this is huge for us because this gives us a glimpse into what a healthy believer looks like and what a healthy church looks like. And so the first thing he tells them, he says that they were full of goodness. In other words, they're opposed to evil. 
They're not mean-spirited. The things that they care about are the things God cares about, his justice, his mercy, uh, taking care of the widow, the orphan. Like They were doing the things that God loved. They They were about goodness. They were kind. They were generous. Then, so they're full of goodness, and then it says that they're filled with knowledge. In other words, they could handle the truth. You know, that movie says, you can't handle the truth. Well, they, they can handle the truth, and the truth is the Word of God. And so they loved the Word of God. They, 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 were, they, they, they were reading it. They were studying it. They were learning it. Now, I want to be clear here. They didn't know everything there was to know. The way I know that is because that's why Paul wrote 11 chapters of theology to them. So they didn't know everything that there was to know. They knew the basics. They knew how men were to be saved. And then Paul gave them this theological treatise, 1 through 11, and just to firm up what they were already tracking towards. So full of knowledge, um, basic understanding. They spent time in the Word, studying the doctrines of God, learning, growing. Uh, and, and, and so they were, they were full of goodness, full of knowledge. And then he says that they were able to instruct one another. In other words, uh, they were disciples who made disciples. They were disciples who made disciples. They learned the word and they taught the word, which is a challenge to us, church. Um, are you making disciples? How? Are you making disciples? How long do you have to be fed before you start putting that stuff to work? You remember when Jesus left and his last command of his disciples was the Great Commission. He said, go therefore into all the world and make converts. Nope, didn't say that. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Your job as a believer, is to make disciples. Are you doing it? It's a simple question, but yet I think a gut punch for many of us. We are to be disciples who make disciples. That's what you are to be doing. And your goal should not just be to make a disciple, but it should be to raise up a disciple in such a way that they then go and make a disciple. Teaching them. Remember the command in Matthew 28. Teaching them all I have commanded you. That's all you're to do. Teach them what Jesus has commanded us. Are you making disciples? So he's given the dynamics of a, of a healthy believer, healthy church. When we overlay our lives next to those things, are we full of goodness? Are we promoting unity? Are we about God's glory? Are we, we want what God wants? Are we about his heart? Do we, we love the things that he loves, hate the things that he hates? Are we about, are we filled with goodness? And then secondly, are we filled with knowledge? Not every single jot and tittle of the word, but do we know a basic understanding of the gospel that I was a sinner and God saved me by his grace and mercy and I'm going to tell people the basic understanding of how to be saved? Are we, do we love the word? Do we read the word? Do we study the word? Are we filled with knowledge? And then three, are we making disciples? This is what a healthy believer looks like. And so we can kind of line our lives up over and see, does this line up? Are we doing those things? These are crucial. Making disciples uh, is, is a huge command given to us by the Scripture. 
And so we should be doing it. Every one of us. Uh, let's read 15 through 16 because we'll come back to that in a minute. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, uh, uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, a very long sentence with a lot of powerful things. All right? Paul is acknowledging that his teaching was probably very bold, may have been harsh. Basically, he's saying, maybe you read my letter, and there were some times throughout my letter that you kind of went, huh? And he's like, be encouraged. Be, be encouraged. Let me, let me encourage you. Let me build you up. I'm, I'm, I'm bold in teaching you because I want you to be sanctified. I want you to love Jesus. I want you to be a disciple maker. I want you to... To, to, to be used of God in a powerful way. And let me pause here a moment and just say to you, church, that I'm so very thankful for this church because we've been preaching through Romans for two years, and there were times in which we preached some hard doctrine, so hard that there were times that you went, huh? <laughs> and maybe you are still even processing some of those things. I mean, for crying out loud, we started a church on Romans 5. No church planner would do that in the world. They would say, you're a moron, David, for starting a church. Preach, you should preach about marriage or something like that. Like preach on some you know, joy or peace or love or, you know, not Romans 5, right? But no, we said we're found on the word of God. We're going to keep plowing. We're going to do that. We're going to plant this church on Romans 5 and, and go, right? And I'm proud of you for trekking that, for going there and saying, yes, the doctrines and the things of God are so important to me. I want to study them. I want to know God more. I want to be filled with the knowledge of God so they can work in me sanctification and work in me uh, more usefulness in making disciples and, 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 and for the glory of God. And so, man, I just I love this church. So just thank you for doing checking through there. All right, no more mushy stuff. Moving on. Uh, then Paul, in this statement, he acknowledges and says that his ministry that was given to him, it was only given to him by God's grace. All right? He's saying that the ministry given to him was given to him by, by God's grace. He understood that he was an unworthy minister. Uh, essentially, Paul was a terrorist turned preacher. He was Osama bin Laden being uh, uh, an evangelist. <laughs> this is, uh, remember, Paul stood over the, the stoning of Stephen with approval. Matter of fact, he gave the nod and said, good job, guys. Way to stone the mess out of him. Stone him to death. And Paul, that same Paul, was the one that we know to write two-thirds of this New Testament. Same Paul that was the greatest missionary to ever live. St. Paul planted churches and planted churches and planted churches and made disciples. Um, and so he's saying, that obviously, what was the, the ministry given to me it was all the grace of God. I didn't deserve it. It was all God's, God's grace. And, and this is the, the reality for all of us as we kind of walk through um, our lives that we say, man, our ministry was given to us by the grace of God. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Do you remember what we were? Right? And, and, and we have to continue to press in and say it's all by God's, by God's grace. Right? Uh, 
All right, let's read 17 through 19. This is going to piggyback a little bit on that. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I, uh, for I would not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Uh, Paul was proud of his work. Uh, but he was not proud of it because of his own actions and what he accomplished, but he's proud of what God worked in through his life, the results that he worked through Paul's life, right? It's always wrong to boast in ourselves, but we can boast in God for doing something through us. It's like, uh, it, it, it's like me preaching up here, right? If I preach uh, a, a sermon and, and one of you, uh, you come to the realization that you do not know Christ, you are not a, 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 a Christian, you have not trusted in him for salvation, you realize that you are a sinner and that you need to be saved and you come to salvation in Christ, you, you come to him and, and you come and tell me, hey, I'm, I got saved today. I say, yes, that, I preached an awesome sermon then. Oh, that's not, I have no power. You hear my accent, right? You, I say a uh, 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 hundred times up here. There's no power in what I'm doing. The only power in order to save men is that God, through the preaching of his word, and his Holy Spirit comes and moves in your heart to save you. And what I do is say, praise you, God, that you would use a wretch like me at all. And like Paul, I say, I remember what I was. Does anything good come out of Laverne? It's like the Nazareth of Rutherford County. And yet, God used me? Yeah, praise God. And we all can say, look at my life. Look at where I've been. There is no believer and no pastor that should walk around with some kind of arrogant swagger as if you're the end all be all. But we have a humble confidence in God. And we say, thank you, God, for using me. I don't deserve to be used by you. I don't deserve to be a part of life change that you let me be a part of. But I praise you for working and using me for your name and glory's sake. And that's what Paul, again, is addressing here. He's, he's, he's telling them, hey, have good perspective. Know who you are and who you aren't. I, I love uh, this quote from Winston Churchill uh, he was sitting outside this platform. He's waiting to give a, a speech. And a uh, large crowd showed up for the speech. And this woman leans over to him and says, Doesn't it thrill you that all the, those people came just to see you? And Churchill says, it, It's flattering. But whenever I feel that way, I always remember that if I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as big. A little perspective, right? We are not who, we are not anything. But by the grace of God, we would be nothing. You, you are called to be a servant, not a savior. You are called to be a worshiper, not worshiped. You are called to give glory, not get glory. 
And so we do our work all the while pointing to our great God. And this is why a lot of pastors and a lot of churches get in trouble because their churches become about them and superstar pastordom. It's just ridiculous. If I were to die tonight, I pray that this church would not only keep going but thrive. It's not about an individual. It's about the Savior, him and him alone. That's it. And he's the only one worthy of that glory and honor. Let's finish up this passage. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul had an ambition to preach Christ where Christ has never been named. He didn't want to build on someone else's foundation. But I want to clear that up a little bit because some people use this verse to say, uh, see, why, why are we planting churches in Murfreesboro? There's plenty of churches already. Let me clear it up a little bit for you, okay? Because uh, Paul, let me remind you, Paul was writing to the church in Rome, a church he did not found. Church he did not plant and start. He'd never been to Rome at this point. Let me remind you, Paul goes to Rome to minister to and be a blessing to the church in Rome. So it's not that he says, I'm exclusively doing this. He says, this is what I'm called to, but you're supposed to do both and. And there may be some of you even in this place today that God is calling you to the unreached people groups of the world and you're to plant churches like, like we've planted churches in, in Bangkok. Bangkok is 0.4% Christian. Five times more prostitutes in Bangkok than there are believers. That's an unreached people group. Or, or in Belgium, that is post-Christian, that, that has a, a low... Matter of fact, we may be one of the biggest churches there, mega church, and I think it's got 90 people. And you're talking about people that are far, that, that, that are not hearing the gospel on a regular basis as you are. They don't have radio stations and Christian t-shirts and whatever else we make up around this culture. So you may be called to go to those unreached people groups and plant churches. Some of you may be called to pastor existing churches. Both are needed. But regardless of if you're called to unreached people groups or you're called to pastor, every believer in this room is called to ministry. Every one of you. It's, it's called the priesthood of the believer. That means when you got saved, you got drafted into the ministry. Congratulations. And in a lot of ways, my because here's what happens, especially in, in Bible Belt. A lot of times, churches try to outsource their ministry to the pastor. Well, that's what we pay you to do, pastor. Uh, no, you don't. Read the Bible. The Bible says my job is to equip the saints, that's you, to do the work of the ministry. So in a lot of ways, when I got called in the vocational ministry, I got out of ministry. And I'm to equip you to do the ministry. That's my job as a pastor. So what is your ministry? Do you have one? Are you doing something for the kingdom? 
Or are you just doing things for your kingdom? What ministry do you have? What is the venue in which, the avenue in which God can work through you to impact lives? Have you set up some channel for which you say, all right, this is what you've called me to. Now work, God. Do something amazing. Do something great through me. Use me, God. Or all your prayers about your paychecks and bills. What ministry do you have? Who are you discipling? You are the ministers. I know that you might get confused. You walk into a place like this, and we've got just these wonderful, comfy seats, right? And it's stadium seating, so you can see me very well, right? And there's lights on me, and I've got the microphone, and, 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 and you come in, and you think, well, I'm going to go see the show for a moment. And I need to apologize to you because maybe that's how you thought church was. I'm going to come sit like a theater. I'm going to like go watch Logan or something. I'm going to sit. I'm gonna, and I wish they had popcorn, right, to make it a whole lot better. And I'll come in and I'm going to watch a show. But that's not why you're here. And the only reason I have this mic is so you can hear me. You are the reason you came. For God to work in you and through you and continue to do your biblical mandate, to worship together and grow together and do life and ministry together, you are the reason you came here. For God to move in you, work in you, change you, use you. You're not here to be entertained. And I'm a terrible entertainer. How's God moving in you? How's he using you? What ministry do you have? Who are you doing life with? Who's, who in here knows what's going on in your life when no one else is around? Who are you doing life with? Who, what disciples are you making? How are you studying the Bible? Now, hear me. I'm not just, I don't want to just hit you with my, staff, my, my shepherd's staff and say, See y'all! I want to help you do. I want to help equip you for your ministry. I want to help equip you to make disciples that make disciples. Put your yes on the table. Say, God, I don't know what you call me to. I don't want ministry you want to have, but my yes is on the table. I want to be, I want to be involved. I want to do what you're calling me to do. I want to be a part of whatever ministry you'd have for me. Yes, my answer is yes. Put your yes on the table. Be used by God for whatever ministry you're making disciples, he's calling you to do. All right, let's pray together. Father, help us to know uh, and believe the truth that you've called us all into ministry, that every person here is a minister of the gospel. You, your scripture says that we are ministers of reconciliation, that we are to be preaching and teaching reconciliation to a world that is not reconciled to you. 
Give us that ministry, God. Open our eyes, burden us, put a weight on us, God, that we can't sleep at night until we are moving and, and doing what you're calling us to do. God, you've called us to go to all nations, all over the world, all over the globe. Father, our neighbor is a part of the world. The cubicle next to us, that's, that's part of the world. Barfield Baseball Park, sports comp, it's a part of the world. Murfreesboro, Bangkok, Brussels. May we go with the gospel. Help us to live sent with the gospel. Move in us, Father. May we be a people that boast only in the work you're doing. And may we be a part of some things so that you can really show off through our lives. Help us to position ourselves so that we can impact people's lives for the sake of the gospel. Give us some ministry. Help us to make disciples that make disciples. God, we love and we need you. For left to our own flesh in sin, we would be content with checking off some kind of religious box and not really being burdened by the lostness in the world. But the truth is, there's darkness, and we are to shine forth your light. And we claim the truth of your scriptures that say the gates of hell will not prevail against the truth of Christ. That means we're on the offense. We're taking the light to the darkness. We're pushing back the gates of hell one soul at a time. We keep working. We keep growing. We keep learning. We keep studying. We keep preaching. We keep having conversations. We keep mourning. We keep comforting. We keep going. Until you call us home, we work for the gospel. Help us, God, to not waste our lives on trinkets, trivialities, but, God, that we would be absolutely passionate about the gospel. We love you, God, and we long for you to be exalted in our lives. Move through us. Give us ministry. Help us to make disciples. Maybe our children, our neighbor. Help us, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.